We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Welcome everybody to another episode of the podcast. The title for today's episode is Grief, Expectation versus Reality. So John, I think we could probably both agree that grief is one of those things that you don't really know too much about until you do. In other words, you may have some kind of expectation of what grief might look like, but once you experience it on a deep personal level, you find that the reality of grief is so, so much worse than you ever could have anticipated. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at grief in a few different ways. So we're going to take a look at our Western society's expectations of grief, which may have even been some of our own expectations as well. And we'll see how they stack up with what we have found both as widowed peeps and also working with our clients as grief coaches. And we might even take a bit of a look at what anticipatory grief is as well. Okay, Carolyn, let's get going. Let's take a look at some very common societal beliefs and expectations about grief and compare them to reality as we've witnessed ourselves and with our clients. So this is the first one I wanna start with. Grief will be really hard for the first year and then you'll be able to move on with your life. Ugh, if only. Yeah, look, grief is so hard during that first year. It's a lot to take in. Your entire world has been turned upside down and the pain and longing in your heart is way beyond imagination. Quite often, people can't remember too much of that first year other than feeling numb. And I think maybe that's a natural coping mechanism that your body kind of goes into like a survival mode so that you can just survive and get through the next breath, the next minute, the next hour and the next day. Then as that fog and numbness of year one begins to lift and the reality of what's happened kicks in, we do sometimes find that year two can feel a bit harder. And while this isn't true for everyone, and we certainly don't want to scare you if you're in year one and don't think that it can possibly get any harder, it is important to know that it can be challenging as you navigate your way through the different emotions that you are experiencing as that protective armor of E1 comes off and your new reality sinks in. Yeah, absolutely. You- and I love that you said year two can be harder, right? I talk about this a lot. It's not harder for everyone. It's harder for some people, right? We have to add that in as to not scare everybody who's still in their first year. For me personally, year one was actually the hardest year. You know, I talk a lot about survive first, exist second, live third. And we both talk a lot about how grief after a truly profound loss never fully ends, but it changes, it evolves. It continues to look different in time. 
we did that entire episode. I think it was entitled day 365 my ass, right? Where we talk about like grief does not end after one year. And as you move forward, as time passes, yes, you can find healing. Yes, you can start to rebuild. But different forms of grief can also hit you that maybe didn't come in year one. So it's very important to remember that things are just going to continue to change. They're going to continue to evolve. And grief and healing are going to continue to look different over time. That's absolutely true, John. Now, our next common belief is that things will get easier after the funeral because that will give you closure. What do you think about that one, John? Um, For me, actually, the wake and the funeral, because I don't know if this is like common for a lot of people, even in the U.S., South, let alone outside the U.S., but we had a lot of loss in my family um, growing up, and there would always be a wake, like, the day before and then the funeral. So it was like a two day thing. And I gotta tell you, for Michelle, like the wake and the funeral were probably the easiest times for me because I was surrounded by people and love and memories. And yes, obviously like, you know, being faced with that reality right in front of my face that my wife was dead and that I wasn't gonna get to see her again in the physical form was, was horrific in every sense of the word. But in those moments, I wasn't alone. So for me, the funeral, bringing any type of closure or, you know, anything like that, it, that wasn't true. I went home to an empty house and that's when the reality kind of really started to set in. I totally agree with that, John. Look, nothing could be further from the truth than that belief that it's going to be easier after the funeral. As you said, everything is so busy planning the funeral you've got lots of people around supporting you and buoying you up and that also can be a bit of a distraction from the grief and what's happened but then everyone goes back to work and back to their normal lives and you're left alone in this strange new world that you didn't want the conclusion of the funeral may be closure for everyone else but it's where shit gets real for the person who's grieving I absolutely love what you just said. I never actually heard it put that way. Like I know, you know, it sits in my head is a truth that I know. But when you said the conclusion of the funeral may be closure for everyone else, but it's where shit gets real for the person grieving. That's 100% accurate. Um, You know, in my first book, I wrote a piece called The Solitude That Follows. And it talks about how, you know, at the wake and the funeral, I felt peace I felt, again, surrounded by love. I felt all these things and how all those feelings quickly went away because, you know, the day after the funeral, basically, that solitude really started to hit home. Yeah, it's kind of like everyone just does some sort of vanishing act. Sadly, that's very true. Now let's go to the next one. You will pass through the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and then you will be healed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Right, right. So do you want me to start with this one, Carolyn, or do you want to start with this one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'll make it short. So look, I'm not a big believer in the five stages 
of grief. Actually, I'm not a believer in them at all as far as after somebody dies. Maybe when somebody's terminally ill, like, okay, yes, perhaps, but not after somebody dies, not for those of us that are left standing here. I'm going to have to go with my own creation here, which is, I think, survive first. Just those moments where you're just hanging on for dear life, whether or not you want to, right? Exist second. You look. You can look back and realize that you have survived and you are still actively surviving. And whether or not you want to, again, you're going to survive this. But you're definitely not living again. You're kind of just going through the motions. You're just existing. And then live third, either in one grand light bulb moment or through the course of many small moments you realize you want to live again now you probably don't know how to or what that means because you lost yourself when they passed but you actually realize you want to live again the really important thing about those three phases is that they're interchangeable right you can be you know fully in the live again phase have some bad shit happen to you, have a huge grief wave, you know, have your kids sobbing because they miss their mommy or their daddy, and you can feel like you're back in the survival phase. So I personally don't really believe in the five stages of grief as far as after somebody has died. What do you think? Well, I must say that your three stages, John, that you just spoke about have been what has really resonated with me and my grief and moving forward and rebuilding and everything. But let's just talk about the five stages of grief for a moment, being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And as we've mentioned before in this podcast, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote those five stages or created those five stages after studying and researching people that were dying. So they were actually originally written for people that were dying with a terminal illness and then they were later on kind of related to grief but she was very clear about saying that they are not linear that they don't go in order but the whole world just seems to have taken it out of context and expects that you will go through these stages in that order Once you get to acceptance, that's it. You're all healed. Good to go. So you actually told me that story. And I, I, you told me it, I don't know, when we first started this podcast about like how she wrote them, why she wrote them. And I kind of forgot it. And I'm actually very sensitive to that because, you know, as you and I have social media platforms, we write, you know, about our thoughts, our beliefs, our grief our thoughts on grief, all this stuff, you know, we're grief coaches, life coaches, all that. I'm very sensitive to people like taking what I say out of context. So I think it's really an important part of this podcast that you kind of cleared that up for me again, refreshing my memory and for our audience. Yeah, look, I think it's a really important point to make that they have been taken so out of context And, uh, you know, grief is not linear. It's not predictable. It's messy and it's a lot of emotions. So it just can't be categorized like that. Absolutely. Let's go to the next one. Talking about the person who died will only make the griever sadder. Oh, Carolyn, we could talk about this one for, what, 30, (laughs) 40 hours straight? Oh, yes. 
If only people could understand that not talking about our deceased person will make us so much sadder. Because when you don't talk about them, it feels like you've already forgotten about them. And that is a horrible, horrible feeling, people. Look, we really could talk about this all day. And if you haven't noticed yet, John Polo can sometimes get very long-winded. So I'll try to keep this short, okay? Um, when you talk about them, right, you're not reminding us that they died. We know that they died. You're reminding us that you remember that they lived, right? Um, now, let's be honest. Sometimes as grievers, we don't want to talk about them, right? Like maybe maybe it would be too sad for us. I use the holiday example with my sister all the time. So first holiday, first Thanksgiving after Michelle passed, so 11 months after Michelle passed, I'm at my sister's house for Thanksgiving. Now I'm there for a couple hours. We're about to have dinner. You know, it's about seven o'clock or whatever. Nobody's mentioned her all night. So I do a toast because we're going to talk about her. I go back there the next time for Christmas Eve and about 20 minutes in, my sister starts talking about Michelle. I didn't want to talk about Michelle that day. It just hurt me too much. I just didn't want to go there. So in both cases, I had to empower myself enough to speak my mind. On Thanksgiving, it was making a toast about her. And on Christmas Eve, it was looking at my sister and say, oh, I just can't today. It hurts too bad. But as a general rule of thumb, yes, we want you to say their name. That's it, John. Say their name. Okay, on to our next common belief. If you keep photos and their items around the house, you are stuck in grief. So, John, we recently did an entire episode on this, which was episode 17, Continuing Bonds, Ways to Stay Connected. And in this episode, we discussed how the latest grief research shows that maintaining a bond or connection with your person is a much healthier way to grieve rather than removing all trace of them from your life. So check out that episode if you haven't already and would like to learn more about this theory. So, you know, obviously this is a audio only podcast, which maybe eventually will change and we'll do video, but Carolyn and I can see each other as we're talking, even though you guys can't see us. And in the background of your picture is a beautiful picture you have up of Tony. <laughs> so before I give you my thoughts on this whole, this whole um, example, right? The, the keeping their stuff up means you're in grief, et cetera. The photos mean you're stuck in grief. Tell us a little bit about like, and I know we discussed this in episode 17 in detail, but tell us a little bit more about that picture you have up of Tony and how you continue the bond with Tony. So that picture you can see in the background is Tony and I on our wedding day and he's standing there all in his suit and I'm leaning into the back of his shoulder, sort of snuggling into him, I guess. And it's a very special picture to me because I can still, when I look at it, feel that feeling of snuggling into him. So it makes me feel really close to him. Though I, I must tell you a funny story about that, getting a bit sidetracked. That photo, when my grandson Cruz first saw that photo, um, or when he was old enough to actually sort of recognise that photo when he was about you know four or something, and because in that photo, I have my wedding dress on, which uh, was like a strapless top. 
so you can see my shoulders. So Cruz goes, oh, Nanny Carolyn, there's you and Pa Tony. You've got no clothes on. <laughs> so every time I look at that, oh, I kind of God. think of that little comment as well. But that is one of the ways I choose to have a connection ongoing with Tony. And there's lots of other things I do as well, which we talked about in that episode. And it could be going to their favourite restaurant, having their favourite meal, favourite movie, favourite songs, just really doing something that reminds you of your person and maintains that connection, however big or small you want it to be. I know we have an entire episode on this, but I just want to say one thing here. Um, You know, early on, like, you know, I would look at all the pictures of Michelle, you know, I would do all the things, right? All the things to continue the bond. I got to tell you, as I approach seven years out, I don't really do that stuff anymore. I just feel like she walks with me. Like, I feel like I could speak to her at any time. You know, we'll, we'll just start talking about her and just tell funny stories and laugh or tell stories that other people don't know or have forgot. So I guess my point is like, it feels much more effortless for me at this point to continue the bond, which is weird because on the one hand, because I'm almost seven years out, sometimes like those two things don't make sense. But for me, at least they're walking hand in hand right now. I love that. That's a great way to describe it, John, effortless, because that's what I've found too, as time goes by and it changes and and our the way we maintain that bond with them will change as well. And to me, it does feel like that. It feels effortless. And I know he's always with me. I don't have to go and do the grand things that I thought I maybe had to do earlier on to remember Tony. I know he's always with me. Yeah, I mean, again, before we go to the next thing, I'll just say, you know, I don't have a picture of Michelle in my apartment. So I moved twice and she passed. I had so many pictures up for so long. Then I sold the house. I moved into a townhouse I rented. I had a couple pictures up. And then when I moved here in July of 2020, I don't have any pictures up. It's a very small apartment. But for me at this point, I didn't need to have any pictures up because I have 4,000 pictures of her on my phone. Anytime I want to see a picture of Michelle, I literally can go to my phone. So again, it's also about like not judging yourself. And when I move to California in two years, guess what? I probably am going to get a nice picture of her like framed and put it in the house somewhere. But at this particular moment, I just don't feel like I need that because all I have to do is pick up my phone. Does that make sense? It does. And there's also all the pictures we have in our memory of them. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. I know the next one is one of your favorites, so I'll let you lead into it. Thinking only positive thoughts will make (laughs) grief better. Two words, two words, folks, toxic (laughs) positivity. Now, anyone that knows me knows that I'm all for positive thinking, but seriously, there's a time and a place. Dismissing or minimizing someone's pain and their true feelings when their loved one has died is not that time or that place. And I've had this happen quite a bit with comments such as stay positive, positive vibes only, or even worse, the shaming of grief is the lowest vibration. You will only manifest more negative things into your life. 
like, what the fuck? And I think I'm going to be saying this for the rest of my life, John. All emotions are valid. I think that is going to be on my headstone when I die. Sitting, I like in, the, <laughs> sitting in the pain and the discomfort with a grieving person and allowing them to feel everything that they need to feel and then validating it for them. Now, that is what is really going to help them in that moment. Rant over. You know, I just have to say, as you say rant over, because our listeners didn't get to hear us talk about this last week. So last week, as Carolyn and I were doing the podcast, after we were finished recording, I was talking about how much I struggle with doing this podcast because I find it difficult to rein myself in from not for not just talking about one thing for eight hours, right? So like, cause we could talk about this one thing for an entire 10 hours, you and I oh, right yes. here, right? The toxic yes, positivity. So I will do my best here to make it very short because you pretty much just said it all. Allowing the grieving person to feel, to hurt, to cry, to grieve, to scream their pain if they need to is so unbelievably important. And as the hurting human, allowing yourself to do that is even more important. The toxic positivity of the world isn't just what they're dishing out, but it's what many hurting humans consume, right? So the hurting human, whether it's grief or something else, whatever it is, like they think you have to be positive all the time. They think, you know, positive vibes only. And if, if you have a negative thought, you're manifesting more bad. And all this shit that I'm sorry, mostly is on social media, right? You're 100% correct in that seeing someone's pain, validating their pain and respecting their pain, sitting with them in that pain is the way you truly help someone. And if you're the hurting human, if you're the grieving person, allowing yourself to feel that pain is so unbelievably important. I will also say that forced gratitude does not work. You can't force someone into gratitude. Do I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for the time that Michelle and I got together? Yes. But it's not because anybody forced me to get there. Actually, when people tried to force me to get there, it did nothing but piss me off. I came to that place on my own. And now I'm going on my own rant, so I'll stop after this. <laughs> but gratitude doesn't walk alone. I'm incredibly thankful for the time Michelle and I had together as adults but I still fully recognize how cheated we were. So the toxic positivity, positivity is a beautiful thing. It's great. You and I know the importance, Carolyn, of healthy thinking, of realistic thinking, of positive thinking. But fuck, man, you got to be real with yourself about your pain and you got to allow other humans to be real about their pain. And I just got to say it one more time for the people up the back. All emotions are valid. On to the next one. Everyone grieves the same. Oh, no, folks. Everyone's grief is as unique as their fingerprint. And look, there's just so many other things that can come into play, including the person's personality, any old wounds that they may be carrying from the past, their life experience, and so, so much more. 
then there's also the different types of grief as well. So there's complicated grief, disenfranchised grief, delayed grief, ambiguous grief, cumulative grief, traumatic grief, collective grief, inconclusive grief, just to name a few. So everyone grieves differently. Everyone grieves in their own unique way. No one's grief is the same. So let's just talk for a moment about anticipatory grief, which is when you're grieving for the person before they've actually died. And there's a common belief that because you know that your person is going to die, that you're somewhat prepared for it or it makes it a bit easier. John, what was your experience with that? So, you know, we talked about this before. We could both talk about, I feel like I've said this 90 times on this episode already. We could both talk about this all day. So we're going to do an entire episode on this. The one thing I will say is, so I, I wrote something about this that I have yet to post. But what I wrote is knowing that she was going to die prepared me for her death. It did not prepare me to live this life without her. That's what I wrote. And the only other thing I'll add right now is, and I've been very vocal about this, for me, the two and a half years she was sick, knowing she was going to die, watching her be sick, watching her die, knowing I was going to lose her, those were probably the hardest two and a half years on me. I grieved unbelievably intensely after she died, but those two and a half years were probably the hardest on my heart. I have to be honest. Yeah, look, John, I remember I had played out in my head so many times the fact that I was going to have to watch Tony die, planning his funeral, sitting in his funeral, all that horrible stuff. But it did not prepare me for it in any way. It did not make it easier in any way. I don't think anything can really prepare you for that. Even though I'd known for five and a half years that at some point I was going to have to watch my husband die, it was still a huge shock when it actually happened. And, you know, the grief and the pain that was to come was something I never could have imagined. And as you said, we will talk a bit more about that. We will do an episode on anticipatory grief. One more thing I actually want to say. So, well, actually two things. <laughs> um, when you tell somebody you're lucky you got to say goodbye, that is very off-putting. I have to say that. That being said, I'm thankful I got to say goodbye, 100%. And for those that did not get to say goodbye, we're actually going to be doing an episode on that in season three. And we want you guys to stay tuned for that one because we're going to be asking you guys for some feedback that to me is probably going to be perhaps our most emotional episode ever. Um, and again, we'll we'll roll out information on that pretty soon. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that episode, John. I think it's going to be very powerful and full of emotion, as you said. So, Carolyn, what I think we should do to end this episode is just read off a couple of things that you and I did not know about grief before we lost Tony and Michelle. Um, now, again, this is like the 17,000th time I've said this on this episode. We can make a list that has a million things we didn't understand about grief before we lost our spouses, right? But let's just read off a couple to people. You good with that? 
yeah, we'll do our best to rein it in, but let's do it. All right, I'll let you start. You are never prepared for the finality and enormity of death and grief. People vanish into thin air after the funeral, just when you need them the most. Talking about death and grief makes people very uncomfortable. People are going to say really stupid shit to you and be completely oblivious as to how hurtful it is. And if I can add another one, some people won't care how hurtful it is because they're just assholes. So true. You can feel multiple emotions together in grief. You may feel sad, happy, angry, grateful, and guilty all at once. You can't rush through grief. It happens on its own timeline. People will compare your loss to something completely different that they have experienced. You mean like when they compare your deceased spouse or your deceased child to like the goldfish when they were eight years old? That, that's exactly what I mean. Oh, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> there are so many secondary losses. We have an episode on secondary losses from either season one or season two. I don't know, but go find it if you haven't listened to it yet. There will be grief triggers everywhere. This, this next one is so important to Carolyn and I because these are things we work with clients on every day. We work with clients on all this, but I know it means so much to you, Carolyn, and it means so much to me, this next one. Absolutely. Grief can affect your self-esteem, your self-worth, and your confidence. Everyone will want to try and fix your grief. You can lose a lot of your regular friends. Your circle can kind of go away. But you can also meet the most amazing new people who you never would have expected to enter your life. Special life events and milestones will always feel bittersweet. After loss, you will view life through a different lens and your priorities will change dramatically. Many people will judge the way you grieve and it's usually those who have never experienced the death of someone close to them. It's common to lose your identity and sense of purpose after a profound loss. That is something, Carolyn, that you and I both found out. But here's an additional one to that, that I never would have believed if somebody told me while I was deep in grief. But it is also possible to rebuild, to once again find your identity and your purpose. It is possible to once again find happiness and joy in this lifetime. It is, and it's so beautiful when we do. Grief brain is very real. Ooh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grief is not a wound that time will heal. A grieving person can feel completely alone in a room full of people. As time passes, the intensity of your grief will walk hand in hand with what your life looks like at that time. Widows are a real magnet for romance scammers, but you do become an expert in knowing how to spot them. Any year moving forward can potentially be harder than year one. Potentially. Meaning anybody who tells you 
year two is worse, year three is the worst year. That was their truth. It absolutely does not mean it's going to be your truth. It's completely normal to feel jealous of others who still have their living person. Oh, Lordy, going out and seeing other young couples hurt me for so long. <laughs> it's so hard, so painful. So I wrote that meme that's really popular and I share it at least once a year. And it basically says like, you know, seeing other couples out, happy families out. It's not, it can be so incredibly hard. It's, this is worded really beautifully. I'm butchering it here. It's so incredibly hard, but it's not about jealousy or ill will. It's about the void of what you once had and don't anymore. Right. That being said, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, yeah, I mean, it was about the void of what I once had and didn't anymore and the pain there, but I was also jealous of the motherfuckers too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was jealous of the motherfuckers, yeah, yeah. You can't imagine how you will ever get through this, yet somehow you do. You are the expert of your own grief. You can grieve as you move forward, and you can move forward as you grieve. Many in society will not understand that those two things, those two things that are so different, can and do walk hand in hand. You can do both at once. Hope is real, even though for so long I felt completely hopeless. No matter what you do, there will be some people who want to judge you. So you have to grieve your own way and live your own way and make the decisions that are best for your life and not based on the thoughts and judgments of everyone else. And our last little insight, grief is a forever thing. It will change and it will evolve, but it won't completely go away. And you get to a place where you are okay with that. Because now you understand that grief is born from love. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowacoaching.com.au and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.